Blog Talk Radio. Now to balance the scale, I'd like to talk about some things that bring us together. Things that point out our similarities instead of our differences. Because that's all you ever hear about in this country is our differences. That's all the media and the politicians are ever talking about, the things that separate us, things that make us different from one another. That's the way the ruling class operates in any society. They try to divide the rest of the people. They keep the lower and the middle classes fighting with each other so that they, the rich, can run off with all the fucking money. Fairly simple thing happens to work. You know anything different, that's what they're going to talk about. Race, religion, ethnic and national background, jobs, income, education, social status, sexuality, anything you can do, keep us fighting with each other so that they can keep going to the bank. You know how I describe the economic and social classes in this country? The upper class keeps all of the money, pays none of the taxes. The middle class pays all of the taxes, does all of the work. The poor are there just to scare the shit out of the middle class. (laughs) Keep them showing up at those jobs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the broadcast. I've just reactivated my podcast after a very long hiatus. Um, You can look back at some of my archives here on Blog Talk Radio. They include interviews with activists, scientists, a lot of documentary filmmakers, uh, presidential candidates, congressmen, senators, etc. I decided to reactivate my show for multiple reasons, one of which is that There's something that needs to be said about what's going on in the politics that I don't think everybody is putting together. Um, I'm a big fan of the Crystal Ball uh, and Sager Rising show. I've also watched a lot of Jimmy Dore, and they're both doing an excellent job, but there are some serious points that I feel need to be added to the conversation that have not been added. To give you a little bit of a background on myself, I worked for Senator Mike Gravel in 2008. I actually just did an episode with him yesterday. And he was kind of my political mentor. I ran for Congress as a third party candidate in 2008. I've been a member of the Libertarian Party. I've been a member of uh, mostly my life. I've been an independent. I live in Michigan, so I could vote in any open primary I wanted. Um, and in general, my left, my leanings are mostly left, but I also understand a lot of the perspectives of the right. So I Worked also as a paid consultant for Senator Gravel, particularly when it came on how to analyze opposing candidates and their strategies, and also to try to help him be able to relate to both sides of the argument. Now, what's going on right now is actually pretty common, and I think that one of the frustrations that I'm having is that a lot of people who have not been involved in politics, who don't understand the nuances, are, are missing a lot of what's actually happening and they're very upset. You know, the fact that the pandemic is going on is actually only making this worse. And something that Andrew Yang pointed out in his, by the way, uh, was that when people get nervous, when people get stressed, particularly about money and their, their livelihood, they literally you lose IQ points is in as much as 12 IQ points drop when somebody is that upset. So when you're in a situation like that, you have to take a deep breath and be very clear about what your feelings actually mean, you know, and what your reactions should be. So with that said, I I took down some notes. I'm actually usually a lot more thorough and I usually just write a whole blog post and then do a show about that. Um, I can give you guys a link to the blog later. Um, If you're interested in supporting me on Patreon, um, I, 
put the link to my Patreon in the description of the show. And in the Facebook comments underneath the show, I put a link to my Fans of V Radio Facebook group. If you want to ask questions during the course of a broadcast, you can make a free Blog Talk Radio account. Um, and that will get you into the chat room. Otherwise, if you know where I am on Facebook, I posted this everywhere. You can just simply message me and I will probably get it during the course of this show. So let me dive right in. First of all, it's important if, if you're going to get involved in politics that you understand that there's, first of all, there's a long game. As in, you're not always just thinking about the immediate. You're thinking about the whole totality of what you're trying to achieve in politics. This is why third, part can, third party candidates run most of the time. They don't really ever expect to win. They're trying to drive certain ideas into the forefront. So for example, when I ran for Congress as a libertarian, I didn't expect at all to win. But one of the things that I was highly critical of my opponent was that she pretty much was just a rubber stamp for George Bush. She would just do whatever George Bush said. And I called her out on that publicly on the radio. You get a lot more exposure when you're a candidate. I called her out on TV. I called her out during debates. She didn't attend any of the debates because she was an incumbent. But the point is, is that eventually she stopped just doing whatever George Bush said. And I can't say that that was all me or even that it was me, but that's an example of the kind of things that partisan politics produces. So the reason that I bring this up is that in some cases, you have to stop thinking about a candidate just in the terms of that election. It's not just about that election. It's about driving home your ideas and bringing them into the forefront. Now, here's an excellent example of that. So Andrew Yang's candidacy for president brought about attention to the concept of UBI, universal basic income, as he had described it now, the freedom dividend. And everybody thought it was the craziest, silliest idea ever. But now all of a sudden, people from both sides of the aisle are making universal basic income proposals. And some of that, yes, was brought about by the pandemic, but it probably wouldn't have happened at all, at least not in the detail that in the speed that we're getting, if Andrew Yang had not run for president and talked about it. Okay. Um, Tulsi Gabbard ran on a policy, you know, basically on a um, platform of trying to bring attention to the wars. And, you know, again, that's, whether she won or not wasn't relevant. She's trying to bring attention to the wars. And obviously Bernie Sanders had a pretty decent shot of winning and you know, things are not completely over yet, but it's almost on its way there. But 2016, a lot of his ideas in 2016 were called insane. And one of the things that I remember most about when the debate started for the 2020 elections was that all of a sudden, all of the candidates were trying to pretend at least to give lip service to his ideas. And all of this goes back to something that a Socialist Party candidate told me um, when he was on my show was he, he pointed out, he said, did you ever notice that a lot of Republicans call Democrats socialists? And I was like, well, yeah. He's like, well, before the, you know, there was a time before when the Democratic Party actually did not have a lot of these ideas in their platform, you know, like workers and all that. They, they actually were not the, the party of unions. Many years ago, the, the Socialist Party was actually the party of unions. Now you barely hear about them. But in order to absorb that voter base, in order to get the unions and the workers on their side, the Democrats had to absorb that platform. And with the Republican side, you see something similar. Um, while there weren't necessarily a political party, there was essentially a marriage of the Christian right to the primary right. 
And the reason for that was that the Republicans wanted that Christian vote. So sometimes when you're running for a campaign, it's not just about whether or not you're going to win that campaign. And sometimes it might be about winning campaigns in the future. Um, And I don't like Joe Biden at all, but here's an excellent example. That guy just ran for president four times. I think it's four. This is the furthest he's ever gotten. And some of the foundations were set. So, for example, his relationship with Barack Obama is what put him in the position that he's in now to actually be able to win elections. It's going to bring me to one of the other major factors here that I don't think everybody really considers, particularly when a lot of people are upset right now about their candidate dropping out and endorsing Joe Biden. Now, so that you guys understand, one of the things that's difficult about politics is that you can't always do what would be the most obvious cavalier perfect thing to do because unfortunately there are a lot of forces at play and one of the major ones that like i was astonished by that i wish that especially the newer generation of people who are just getting involved in politics don't recognize if i took you into a time machine back to 2008 candidates didn't candidates that talked anything like andrew yang tulsi gabbard or bernie sanders would have never even gotten into the second debate. They got rid of those people as fast as possible. They got rid of Mike Gravel because he called out Hillary Clinton for being a pro-war candidate when she was trying to claim she was against the war. They called out and removed Ron Paul because he made the you know, glaring mistake of being truthful about the reason why we were attacked on 9-11 and how it had to do with our foreign policy, not for some hatred of our freedoms. They got rid of Congressman Dennis Kucinich as fast as possible because he kept talking about impeaching George Bush and Dick Cheney. If you buck the establishment so far, they will just get rid of you. They don't want you there. So you guys don't recognize that, you know, for for those of you who are upset that our candidates are not doing more to, you know, go for the throat, so to speak, the mainstream media does not want us. They only put Bernie on because he pulls high enough to the point that they can't afford not to. If they don't put him on, they're going to lose money. As soon as that changes, he'll be gone. They, they'll stop talking about him. He'll disappear. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people who've just gotten into the political system understand. When I was helping people with the Ron Paul campaign or the Mike Gravel campaign, we were always frustrated with the fact that the mainstream media didn't talk about us at all, like at all. So Ron Paul, for example, um, you know, I don't agree with everything the guy says by any means, but he was a politician who I do believe genuinely cares. And he had huge rallies, too. He'd have thousands of people show up to his rallies. But the mainstream media would go way out of their way not to downplay those rallies, but just to simply pretend they don't exist. They would just act like they didn't happen. And they don't really talk much about Bernie's rallies, you know, at all. And obviously, if they're going to bring up any of that kind of stuff, it's not going to be because they want to draw positive attention to it. It's going to be because they're going to want to draw negative attention to it. So the reason that I bring all this up is that there are a lot of people, um, Jimmy Dore in particular, who continues to hammer away at Bernie Sanders, um, Tulsi Gabbard supporters who are hammering away at Bernie for, in their opinion, not doing enough to get Tulsi into the debates. Um, you know, and Andrew Yang supporters who don't like either of them. You know, at the end of the day, these three candidates and their supporters have way more in common than they don't. To figure out a way to have a unified front 
Because the reason we're in this situation now where Joe Biden is likely to be the nominee is because the opposition, the candidates that are all owned by corporates, by the corporations, they are a unified front. That was very clear on Super Tuesday. They're all working together. And it's only in their best interest if we keep fighting each other. It's only in the best interest of the establishment if we all keep bickering and Yang supporters complaining about Bernie supporters and Bernie supporters complaining about Tulsi supporters. And then they're not finding any kind of common ground. And that is not what we need. The progressive movement does not need that. You are essentially making it easier for our opposition to succeed if you participate in that kind of rhetoric. It's, it's just not helpful. And it's actually exactly what our opposition wants. So remember that media coverage is not free. You know, and I don't just mean in money. I mean that there are certain things that candidates have to do in order to get exposure. So people were upset, for example, about Andrew Yang becoming affiliated with CNN. They thought, was this an example? Is Andrew selling out? Is he, is he giving up? You know, or is he, you know, what, what is he doing here? Well, what he's doing is getting a whole bunch of mainstream media exposure to his ideas. That's what he's doing. It isn't about this election anymore. This election is basically over. Okay. Um, now he's in a stage where people are talking about the UBI. Again, long game politics. You can't play this game just in the moment. It's not just about what your passions tell you to do. It's not even necessarily all the time what your motives tell you to do, or rather your um, values tell you to do. Because in the long game, you're fighting a war. Make no mistake, we are fighting a war, a political war right now. And these elections are just battles in that war. We will not win the war if we throw, you know, just burn everything up in that one battle. And, and so that's the kinds of stuff that's on these people's minds through this entire thing. The, through the whole thing, they're thinking, okay, well, I would have liked to have been president this year, but that's obviously not going to happen. So how can I leverage to make sure I get more attention for Medicare for all? What can I do to get more attention for UBI? What can I do to get more attention for regime change wars. That's the stuff that's going on in their heads. Yes, of course they would have liked to have been nominated. Of course they would have liked to have won. But that doesn't mean that the war is over. That means this battle is over. What I'm seeing now, and that's like actually one of the reasons I did not get as prepared as I normally do for the show because I just couldn't take it anymore. I, I'm on a lot of different Facebook groups for a lot of different candidates that I support or at least thought were decent people, okay? And I'm watching people tear their candidates apart. They're so angry about um, the Biden thing or, or they dropped out or, you know, my candidate quit and, you know, how dare he, he betrayed me or she betrayed me or whatever. It, it, again, you, you can't allow yourself to get caught up into those kind of emotional responses because that, you're not taking into account the big picture. You know, I, I often use this analogy. If you've ever played, a, let's say, a massive multiplayer online game like World of Warcraft, there's the middle scroll button, and it allows you to scroll back and look at things from up above. You know, people tend to look at things in the first-person view all the time in their lives. Politics isn't like that. Politics is psychology, but it's more sociology. You're not just looking at the impact that what your personal interactions is about. What is it going to do when those personal interactions interact with thousands of other people? There's a reason why sociology and psychology are two separate sciences. There's a reason why public relations 
is like an actual thing that people get paid to do because it's a complex process. All of our candidates are put to that all the time. How can we figure out how to affect the public perception of things? And if you've ever just spent some time looking in Facebook, particularly in groups for candidates you don't like at all, public perception is something that is very rarely completely rooted in reality, especially if somebody has become so fixated in their political beliefs or following of their candidate that it becomes religious. And I don't mean that with any hyperbole. It's almost the exact same psychology that they become religious. And when that happens, you know, it's, there's blasphemy, you know, there's inquisitions, there's witch hunts, all the things that go along with that kind of irrational thinking, which is the last kind of thinking that we need in a situation like this, especially with this pandemic. So now here's another major point that I really wanted to bring up, you know, was that we're in a situation, okay, one of the things that I, I like Jimmy Dore a lot, but then sometimes I, I literally just have to turn it off. Um, and the reason for that is that he is lambasting Bernie Sanders and Bernie's campaign, you know, but at the same time, he also reported on this, and I actually put it in the slideshow for this episode if you haven't seen it, but it's the statistics for the deviations between the exit polls and the voting counts. There's a research company that went around checking this, and they have found all kinds of deviations when it comes to the votes. And as a result, you know, they, they've pointed out on the Jimmy Dore show that the deviations are big enough that the United Nations would actually label it as voter fraud. So Jimmy Dore will bring that up, and he's right to bring that up. But in the same show, he'll just start trashing on Bernie and calling him weak and saying that his campaign is incompetent and they're not doing enough and he should have done this during the debate or he should have done that during the debate. If it's a rigged process, then that's just ridiculous. Like one of the things I pointed out on Facebook, so you're yelling at a candidate, telling him that he's weak, telling his volunteers who bust their asses that they're incompetent because they lost a fixed primary. That's like telling a guy that he's a terrible driver because he lost a race because somebody siphoned the gasoline out of his car. And what I would watch is Jimmy has a big audience, so I don't think he even realizes what he's doing. But when I'm watching these live broadcasts, I'm just watching the comments. And, and he's swaying public opinion of his base against Bernie Sanders by doing that. Bernie's weak. He's not strong enough. He's not going for the throat enough. His campaign is terrible. You know, you know his people are stupid. And I'm just watching as they're like, yeah, Bernie's weak. And, you know, he doesn't realize he's literally inciting anti-Bernie sentiment because he's upset that Bernie is losing and as a result contributing to what will definitely make him lose more in the future, which is disenfranchising Bernie's base by losing a primary that has obviously been rigged. Biden is winning in states he didn't even campaign in. And if you look at, obviously there's the shadow stuff, the shadow app stuff with Iowa and, you know, with the early caucuses and they had to come up with something because caucuses are more difficult to um, frame because everybody knows what happened. They were all there. They could all see who was there, who voted who. They're aware of that. 
And that's why they had to come up with some, some other shadowy crap to try to protect the other candidates from the fact that Bernie actually was the one who had the momentum. So I guess to, to kind of try to cap this off, and if anybody who's listening to this knows Jimmy Dore, I, would, I, I just wish I could just tell him this. I'm like, you are literally helping the opposition right now by telling everybody that Bernie Sanders is a weak guy, you know, that he's not doing enough and that his, his, you know, his campaign advisors and their strategy is just terrible. We got to stop talking campaign strategy if everything is rigged. There's zero point in lambasting Bernie Sanders because he failed a rigged election. People have got to look at that very closely because at this point, all we're doing now is we're breaking the spirit of the progressive movement that lined up behind him and more people are just going to walk away and then they're not going to be involved at all. So, when, with that brought up, that kind of brings you to the question of, okay, well, then what's the point of being involved in the process at all? And that brings you back to my point about the war of ideas. One of the things that George Carlin said once during one of his rants was that um, he feels that a lot of the different changes that we've had, like, uh, for example, women getting the vote, uh, things like that, were concessions on the part of the elite that actually control everything that they were essentially the elite going, okay, fine, we better give them this because if we don't, you know, there's going to be uprising. So we'll give them this much, you know, and that's where the benefit of continuing to be involved in this process really comes about. And to be clear, that can also be done third party. It doesn't have to be done primary party. It doesn't have to be done democratic or Republican. You can do that third party. That's essentially, you know, what Hillary is whining about Jill Stein doing the Democrats when we talk about, well, don't be a crazy conspiracy theorist. Why would they do that? You can look it up in the public record because during the lawsuit in 2016, when disenfranchised Bernie voters who de- you donated to, the, um, to his campaign and to the Democratic Party wanted their money back, the Democratic Party, without even blinking, openly admitted that they had every right to rig their primary any way they want. So let that sink in for a second. There's literally nothing to stop the Democratic Party from rigging the voting machines. And if they got caught, it wouldn't matter. It's not illegal. This primary system is generally, essentially, a straw poll that the delegates are theoretically supposed to use to decide who the nominee is. But if the people who have managed to push their way to the top of that don't like the outcome, they'll simply take it from you. And that brings me to the party system. And I did talk a little bit about this last night with Senator Mike Gravel. George Washington's final address, one of the things that he said was that he was very wary of the party system because it was just coming into control right as he was leaving. And for the record, folks, he is the only president in the history of the United States to ever be elected as a non-party candidate. He was the only independent because parties didn't exist when he started. And he was right. He was concerned that the parties would start doing what was best for their parties and not what was best for the country. And that would include sometimes sabotaging things that would be good for the country for the betterment or the, you know, essentially the, the power of their personal parties. So the Republican slash Democrat thing is not in the constitution. You won't find it anywhere because it was never intended. Essentially the party system at this point is more or less like a computer virus that's controlling the outcome of our democracy. And it has, it wields enormous sway. And if you're concerned in any way about, you know, 
security of us as voters and us actually getting anything out of the voting process, you know, rather than getting angry at candidates who you supported for failing to win the rigged system, why don't you take that anger out on the party system that shouldn't exist in the first place and the people who perpetrate it? Because those are the people who actually deserve your ire. Not candidates like Andrew Yang, candidates like Tulsi Gabbard, and not candidates like Bernie Sanders. You know, I, I mentioned a little bit about the, I want to make sure I, I hammer this home, but when they endorse other people, you know, I still deal with this all the time, and it was actually kind of funny to watch some of them eat crow, but there are a lot of Tulsi supporters that are, were just livid that that there were former Bernie supporters who gave up on Bernie because how dare he quit in 2016? He should have just stuck it out. I don't think people necessarily realize that the winning and losing of elections, especially when it comes to nominations for a political party, is not as simple as just continue fighting until it's over. It's actually over well before the convention, which is what Andrew Yang understood when he pulled out. He did the math and he recognized, I I can't win this. And I don't want to waste any more of my donors' money. Think about that for a second. He didn't quit because he didn't care about you. He quit because he does care about you. And he recognizes, like I said, it's a battle and a larger war, that this battle is over. I need to keep my resources together for future battles in the hopes to win the war. So the same thing was true when Bernie was in a situation where he had to endorse Clinton and people are upset about that. But the reality is, is that if he had not done that, we wouldn't be having Bernie Sanders as the front runner at any point during this election. We wouldn't have Bernie Sanders in second place as things stand now. We wouldn't have it. They would have cut that off before he even got there. You can't burn these kinds of bridges. Tulsi supporters, because a lot of them just like they seem to think that Tulsi was the alternative for not doing that. But in the end, even Tulsi Gabbard did finally vote for Hillary Clinton. I can find the article for you. If you if you don't believe me, I'll show it to you. I've showed it to a few people. But that's how they do things. Andrew Yang didn't support Joe Biden because he or you know endorse him because he thinks that Joe Biden's the best candidate that we could have had. I'm sure he feels that he was the best candidate, which is why he ran. But he also has to think about the bridges that he's burning. If you guys want to see Andrew Yang on the ticket again in 2024 because I don't believe Biden's going to beat Trump at all, he has to play a very calculated game right now. He has to look very heavily at his relationship with the Democratic Party. He has to look very heavily at his relationship with the media. He has to look very heavily because otherwise you're just going to lose. This is not as game that's as simple as a fight. Like it's not a boxing match where you punch me and I punch you. And then one of us quits and that's the one who, then that's the one who loses. And the one who stuck it out is the one who wins. It doesn't work like that. There's so many more nuances involved and you guys are abandoning your candidates when the truth is, is that they need you now more than ever. And we need each other. That, that's another thing I, I guess I, I, I can't understand it, that the people who hate on each other's candidates, it just doesn't make any sense. Tulsi Gabbard doesn't hate Bernie Sanders, and she doesn't hate Andrew Yang. And Andrew Yang doesn't hate either of them either. You know, and, you know, I guess I talked a little bit about this, but I want to bring this up again. 
the people from the Tulsi camp that are hammering on Bernie, you know, for not doing enough, I, I guess they, some of them tend to forget that the two of them were opponents in the same contest. It's not, and they were struggling. The progressive side of the ticket was struggling. And in the end, people have to calculate, is it better for Tulsi Gabbard as a citizen of the United States even, and as an obvious pick for some position in Bernie's campaign, you know, administration, if Bernie Sanders beats Biden,